Thank you for your word as we get to look into that. What a privilege it is to be able to look into your word. And so we ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, lead us, and guide us this morning. Uh, Help us to apply your word to our lives, God. We thank you again for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I don't know about how many of you heard this. I saw it on the news, actually. How many of you heard the story about a guy named Chris Gursky? This guy is an American who went on uh, vacation in Switzerland, and on his first day of his vacation, he decided to go hang gliding, okay? So some of you have heard, saw this. He decided to go hang gliding, okay? Sounds fun. In Switzerland, holy cow, that sounds like a great idea. However, what was supposed to be this fun adventure took an unexpected twist. You see, Gursky and the pilot took off from this, like this 4,000 foot ledge, okay? And they went and overlooked. If you look at the video on, on the internet, it's beautiful what they were going to see. But they realized as, as they went off, within seconds, they realized that Mr. Gursky was not strapped in. Okay? So, yeah, yeah, as you see in that picture there, they took off, and this guy was hanging there. He was just hanging there. He was barely able to hang on long enough. If you read about in the story, it talks about he just was barely, he had one hand was slipping that, just like in the movies, you know, he said it was kind of going like this, coming off, and the other one, look at, he's hanging on first to the shoulders, then he's hanging, look at, he's hanging on to the pant leg of the guy. That's crazy, okay? And so they, he held on long enough, though, for the pilot to went right to their uh, landing zone and where Gursky, he kind of jumped off uh, once they got close enough and he was able to escape with uh, minor injuries, he says. But I love what he says. Something he said when he was interviewed about this, he says, I'll go hang gliding again as I didn't enjoy my first flight. (laughs) (laughs) Understatement of the world, right? (laughs) That's crazy. Well, to me, this story illustrates for us the importance of truly being ready for important things in life. Well, you need to be ready for important things in life. This guy wasn't ready for his flight due to not having been strapped in. The instructor did not strap him in. And the consequences really for him could have been disastrous. Well, this morning, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about the importance of being ready. Okay, and it stems from a question. Remember, we looked at this last week. A question from his disciples concerning the temple in Jerusalem. You see, they, Jesus had just told them, remember, they were, they were leaving Jerusalem and the, the disciples were, oh, Jesus, isn't this an amazing temple? And he told them, listen, you know what's going to happen? This thing's going to be completely destroyed. This temple is going to be all destroyed. This thing that you revere and that represents all the beauty and Israel's culture and the glory of God's presence. And really they saw as the permanence of, of Jewish religion, of the Israel's religion, they saw the permanence. He said, it's going to go away. It's going to be absolutely destroyed. So naturally, disciples, they want to know, uh, okay, Jesus, when is this going to happen? When's this going to happen? And when is it going to be the sign of your coming or the second age? Because remember, we talked about this last week. The disciples, they equated the the temple with the second coming of Jesus. Okay, that's when they figured it was going to happen, that it would signify the end of the age, uh, and it would signify the beginning of a new age in which uh, Jesus would usher in his kingdom. So that's what they're expecting. So they obviously have some questions here. And his answer that we started looking at last week, so far, Jesus has explained to help, help you guys see that the destruction of the temple 
and his second coming are two completely separate events that occur significantly apart from each other in time. So that's what he did when we looked at last week. And we know, like we talked about, the destruction of the temple will actually take place in about 40 years from when Jesus is talking in 70 AD when the Roman armies lay siege to Jerusalem. And for his, as for his second coming, now this would be a whole other sermon. Not, it's not the, second coming is not the same thing as the rapture, okay? We got to get that clear. That's a whole other time we'll talk about that. The second coming is when Jesus will return as a conquering king and to bring justice to the world and defeat evil once and for all. This is all described in Revelation 19 if you want to look it up later. And we have no idea when that's going to happen. Absolutely no idea. So, so far, Jesus told, has told them, listen now, don't get all up in arms about all these signs of the times. Remember, we talked about all those things last week. All these th- signs of the times that could interpret the signs of the times of the coming of the age, okay? Don't, don't get all bent out of shape about those things, okay? They're just simply things that occur in every generation, well, in this morning's passage, in order to help his disciples discern between the two events, the destruction of the temple and the second coming, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to speak in very detail about both of these events, okay? Very, very much detail. And as I said last week, there is a lot of confusion surrounding these verses, a lot, okay? So in these verses and the ones we're going to look at next couple, in the next couple sermons, but we're going to once again see, as I see, much to be learned that applies to our lives today. A lot, okay? So first we're going to look at Jesus' answer concerning when the destruction of the temple will occur. Now, this is an event that absolutely changed the course of an entire nation. And in many ways, that changed the course of an entire religion. This was no small thing. Oh, destruction of a temple. What's the big deal? This was huge. This was, sorry, huge. This was massive. This was, this was a big, this was a big deal. So let's start right away. Verses, we got a lot of verses to cover, so we'll jump right in. Uh, let's start by looking at verses 15 through 22, okay? Jesus says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. He's saying, pay attention. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetops not go down and take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. All right, what Je- let's break this down a little bit. What Jesus is first telling them is that there will be an obvious sign that the destruction of the temple is about to happen. You're going to know. Okay? It's called the abomination of desolation. And we all know what that is, so I'll keep going. No, you're kidding. (laughs) The abomination of desolation. Okay? This is referring to a prophecy in Daniel that some some of it happened already a couple hundred years prior to this, but really it's going to culminate when the the Romans invade and they're going to set up foreign idols and they're going to offer pagan sacrifices in the temple. He says, when you see that happen, Okay, when you see that happen, run. Get out of town. Get out of Dodge. Okay? Get out of here. When you, as soon as you see that happening, you need to leave. 
and it's just going to be absolutely awful. It is going to be a, be a bloodbath when that ha- once that starts. You want to be out of here. We know as a result of this Roman siege that happened, I mentioned some of this last week, 90, up to 97,000 Jews were enslaved and up to 1.1 million were slaughtered. So Jesus is telling them, when you see this happening, don't be all like, no, my, our, you know, we're going to stand firm and, you know, go. Get out of here because this, this, is, this is judgment day, okay? Okay, this is judgment day for Israel's continued rebellion, especially by its leaders, uh, to God, okay? And it's, it's going to be severe. Then we see in this last verse that in his graciousness, look what he says, it will, this whole thing will be cut short. It'll be cut short so that many people will survive. So Jesus isn't going to wipe, God's not going to wipe out everybody. He's going to have some survive, which I believe is going to be making up this new messianic community that God is going to establish, okay? So Jesus now goes on and he adds to what he said back in verses 5 and 11 concerning people that are going to take advantage of you. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bleak. So people are going to, you know, whenever there's a time of, it's crazy how whenever there's a disaster, there's always those that are going to take advantage, right? Always those that come in and take advantage. We see that here. Look at verses 23 to 26. He says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead, as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So, if you, so they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness. Do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. So Jesus says, listen, there's going to be people that are going to come along during this time. And their goal, the goal of these false Christs or these false prophets is to lead people, even true followers of Jesus, astray with their promises of all this messianic or this divine authority, okay? He said, that, that's going to do it. So don't be thinking that's the end of the time, okay? Because Jesus says, don't believe him. That's not how I'm going to come back. That's not what it's going to look like when I return, okay? So as for the destruction of the temple so far, he's telling us is that there will be a warning sign, this abomination of desolation. There will be, be a warning sign. But for his return, there's not going to be a need for a sign, Look what he says. Look what he says in just the next couple of verses here. He says, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What Jesus is saying there, he's saying that there will be no need for any warning signs because his return will be very obvious. It doesn't matter where you are, when Jesus returns, it's going to be very obvious. He says, just like a flash of lightning is visible all over in the sky, okay, you, the people will know. And just as like when you see vultures, you know, in those movies, I've never seen it myself, only in movies, where there's vultures circling around, what does that mean? There's, probably, there's a carcass down there. There's obviously a carcass. I, actually, I see it up on the hill. I do see that up there. Yeah, okay. I, was I do see it. I got to look up. We do see the hawks. That's right. We do see our different... Those are vultures too? Ooh. Uh, they're, they're, they're coming around and they're going, oh, okay, they're getting one of the dead carcasses that my cats killed over there. Uh, that's what they're doing. He said, no, that's going to be an obvious sign. You know, as Revelation 1-7 says, every eye will see him. So when Jesus returned, everybody's going to know. 
in that instant, everybody will know. So now Jesus goes, that was kind of a little side note, okay? Now Jesus goes back to explaining that despite how horrific this complete destruction of the temple will be, what he's going to say here, and this is very important out of this section, that the ultimate outcome will actually affirm and underscore Jesus's glory and triumph. No matter how dismal this situation seems like it's going to be, there's, gonna, there's something pretty amazing coming out of this. And really, you guys, we need to look at the Bible. This is the ultimate story of the whole Bible. This is the story of the entire Bible. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus and his ultimate glory and triumph over sin and darkness. Everything. The men's Bible study has been great. This men's Bible study, we've been looking at the book of Judges. What a dismal, dark, horrible story. <laughs> it's just terrible, the stuff that's in there. You think, what an immense failure of people and men. You know what it points to? We need a Savior. We need a per- the judges couldn't do it. We need a perfect Savior. And that's, what's, that's what he's um, getting at here. Look what, look what Jesus says in verses 29 to 31. Immediately... After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one of heaven from one end of heaven to the other now you're probably thinking to yourself whoa that sounds like the end that sounds like the end time that's pretty some pretty apocalyptic end times language there yet what i believe jesus is saying here what he's doing is he's using old testament symbolic language in answering the disciples question concerning when the destruction of the temple will take place You see, now we're going to dig in just a little bit. We're going to dig a little bit more here. Many passages in the Old Testament that spoke of such cosmic disorder and darkness in their immediate context many times referred to God's threatening judgment to cities and to nations right then or what was coming. That's what he was talking about a lot. Here's a good example. An example is in Isaiah where the prophet, where he's describing the destruction, the coming destruction of Babylon. Babylon's about to come and destroy them, okay? Listen to what he wrote. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Sound familiar? Jesus has used that same language. He's just saying the same thing. So what it makes sense then that Jesus used this familiar language to describe the judgment of the temple. What Jesus is trying to communicate is that what is going to be destroyed is not just this, not just this magnificent building, not just this that just you're all when you see it, but what is a tr- this tremendous center of power that must be replaced by something much greater. This has to go is what he's saying. This ha- Remember back in chapter 12, we looked at this where Jesus said to told the religious leaders that something greater than the temple is what? Here. He said something is way bigger and way greater than the temple. And he was speaking of who? Himself. We get a lot of Jewish history today, aren't we? 
We forget that so much Jewish history is wrapped up in the entire lifespan of the Bible. We're talking about getting close to end times talk, talk here too. So what he, and then look at the last verse. He says, what he means in verse 30 is with the appearing of the signs of the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Once again, Jesus is using this prophetic cosmic language, this time from Daniel, which speaks of his power. This is talking about his power that's going to be present as he establishes his kingdom here on earth through his followers. And this is going to be seen by everybody, okay? And it's going to cause people to mourn this prediction that he had, okay? And this gathering of the elect from the four winds that seems to sound like Jesus is talking about the end times, with this gathering of the four winds is referring to this supernatural empowered evangelization that's going to take place when Jesus sends his disciples out with authority to preach the gospel to all nations, which will be our last sermon on when we, in Matthew. See, so what he's talking about, this, the temple's going to go, but oh my gosh, you ought to realize the power and the glory that's coming. You thought that was awesome? The power and the glory that is yours is coming. As one commentator I read this week writes it, as in Daniel's vision, the loss of one power structure, the temple, opens the way for another, greater one, and one which has universality, which a temple-focused system could have never achieved. Could have never, could have never reached the world if the focus was at a temple. Well, the focus is all through us. Focuses in Jesus, in us. It's great. All right. Now, finishing this section here, Jesus gives his disciples um, three final short comments. Look what he says uh, in verses 32 to 35. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you all see these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So three little things he says here. First, Jesus tells them to just like the fig tree, okay? One of the most prominent, really briefly fruiting trees in Palestine. When it begins to show its new shoots, it's going to bear fruit, okay? So too, when you see the beginnings of the Roman desecration happening in the temple, this is a sign it's going down. It is about to go down. Next, he says that this will take place in their generation, meaning that some of these people will be alive, so these people will be alive when this happens. And finally, he affirms the, the permanent effectiveness of his word, of all that he said. All right. Whew. That was a lot of stuff for one big section. So what Jesus is doing here is he's telling his disciples, on the one hand, the destruction of the temple will be a climactic act of judgment brought upon by the failure of the people of Israel. But on the other hand, on the other hand, it'll also be a new beginning where the power and authority of Jesus will be made known to all mankind throughout those who he's entrusted to proclaim his name. And who is that? That's us. That is us. You and me. The temple was destroyed. Now, Jesus' power and glory are displayed for everyone to see. 
Here's the deal, you guys. I believe that it is important for us to always remember that as followers of Jesus, we have the incredible privilege of not only experiencing, but proclaiming the glory and the triumph of Jesus to the world. Are you ready to do that? Think about it. That's the task that we have been privilege to have. Not to learn a system, not to figure out how to do it just the right way. I can't do it until I I know all the right words. No. What he's saying is in your broken frailness, weakness that you have, you I have entrusted to not only know about, but to proclaim my incredible greatness and my incredible glory. Oh my gosh. We need to be ready to do that. I ask you that if you're ready, because you know what? Jesus is ready to do that through you. He's ready. He's not waiting for you. He's not, okay, just get your act together a little bit more. I know you got that little addiction going on on the side. You can't do anything anything for me. Work on that addiction. Let's get that taken care of. Or work on that bad habit. Or work on that sin. Let's, Let's work on that. But also let me use you. Let me use you. For great things, because I am great. All right, so now Jesus switches gears, okay? That's the temple. Now he switches gears and begins to answer the second part of the disciples' question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, okay? This is a question a lot of people want to know. I've thought about it, haven't you? When's it all going to end? When's it going to be over? We've had people tell us when they think it's going to be over. Never happened, did it? Never happened. How will we know? How will we know when the end of time is here? Now, in answering this question, Jesus is going to begin to ultimately help his disciples and us to understand the importance of what our lives should look like as we anticipate his coming. Not only to be fully prepared, but how we can avoid the fate that really is awaiting people that aren't ready. Which is interesting. I got to tell you what's interesting. I was talking to Becky about this right beforehand. Is We're going through the book of Matthew, okay? This is the first day of Advent. Look where we have landed. We have landed. The title of my sermon is, is Be Ready. Advent is about the coming of Jesus. Not only that he came now, but that he's coming again. And this is the focus of the rest of this passage of what it's going to look like. What does Jesus expect of us, okay? How are we supposed to be prepared? What does it mean to look to be ready? What does that mean? Okay, so let's start looking at it. Let's start by looking at um, how we can know, first of all, about Jesus' return. What we can, here's some things we do know, okay? Look at verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Okay? So unlike the destruction of the temple, you know, which there will be a sign, this desolation of, uh, yeah, whatever it is, will take place. Jesus now says that day, which he's referring to his second coming, is an event whose time is completely unknown and completely unknowable. Okay? It will come without any prior warning whatsoever. No one knows when this day will be. And check this out. Not even the angels, or even Jesus himself. I know we've all heard that before, but can you wrap your head around that just a little bit? Even Jesus. Remember, didn't Jesus say, I and the Father are one? 
I don't get it. I don't understand this. Why, why, it is that, why it is that he doesn't know? But what this tells me is, this, talks, this is speaking of this incredible mystery. I hope, you, I hope you're willing to uh, grasp, grasp the mystery. So many mysteries that there are about our faith. Things that we just can't possibly wrap our head around. There's no way we're going to wrap our head around so many things about God. I can't figure this one out too. The Father and the Son. But Jesus does not know. It's a mystery. It's, it is just one of those incredible mysteries between the relationship with a father and son who are both God. So the first thing we can know for sure about a second coming is no one knows when it'll be, okay? Another thing we can know is this one. It will catch people completely unaware. Look at verses 37 uh, to 41. Look what he says. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then the two men will, then the two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken and one left. Once again, this is... You, some of us are going to have to maybe rethink a little bit our end times and what we think about things like that. And this is just my opinion, by the way. You can read a whole bunch of different things about what people, um, people say about what this all looks like. But just as there was no warning to the onset of the, of the flood as described in Genesis, for the, and, or for these men or women that are going about their everyday chores. The reality is the second a coming of Jesus will come when we're going about our ordinary everyday lives. You'll be sitting at your computer, if we're still around. You'll be sitting at your computer. You'll be playing your guitar. You'll be feeding the goat. You'll be doing you know, whatever you'll be doing. Bam! Second coming, the second coming. Christ will come that second time. Once again, we're not, not, talking, about, not talking about the rapture here. It's talking about his second coming. When he comes to establish his kingdom. Bam! If you're around, I guess you're not sure. Hopefully you won't be around when that happens. Yeah. So, uh, people will just be, it'll just, it's just going to happen. So Jesus gives a second, says his second coming is going to be, uh, he says it's going to be um, obvious, okay? It's going to be unknown and unknowable. It's going to catch completely people off guard. Jesus now gives a stern warning, okay? If that's the case, check this out. Look what he says in verses 42, 42 to 44. Therefore, remember when you ever see a therefore in the Bible? Ask, what's it there for? Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let the house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. He's, so what he's, what he's saying here is that we need to stay awake. We need to keep watch. Stay vigilant until the coming of the Lord. In other words, always be ready. Okay? Always be ready. This idea here is, he's using here is if you knew a burglar was coming, say you knew somehow, some weird way, you knew a burglar was coming at about 2 a.m. in the morning tomorrow. Okay? You knew this guy was coming. You'd do everything necessary, wouldn't you, to keep him from breaking into your house. You would do everything. You'd lock your doors and windows. You'd call the police and warn them. You'd be ready for him. The point is, we don't know when Jesus will return. So we need to always be ready, expecting he may come at any time. 
This can happen at any time. Remember the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians. He said, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, There is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So what does it look like to be ready? What does it look like to be ready for the second coming of Jesus? More specifically, as followers of Jesus, what should our life look like in order for us to be considered truly ready? Okay, ready and prepared. Well, Jesus tells us by way of a parable or a story. Look what he says in verses, our last chunk of verses here. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find do, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on, the, on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oof. So in helping us understand what it really means to truly be ready for Christ's return, whatever that looks like, I don't know what that's going to like. I don't know how that's going to work, how it's going to be, rapture this. I don't know. I really don't know. And I can't, there's no way I would claim to know. All I can say is what he's saying here is that we need to be ready. And in order to help us understand that, Jesus highlights these two different types of servants here. One that's either faithful and wise or one that is wicked. Now notice the, fa the servant is considered faithful and wise when after being given charge over uh, certain responsibilities in the master's house and knowing that he could come back at any time, he shows himself to be trustworthy by fulfilling his master's expectations. He does what he's told. And in turn, look what happens. His master returns and gives him even greater responsibility. Yet the servant is that is, when is wicked, thinking his master won't return for quite some time, decides to indulge himself in this uh, selfish and irresponsible living at the expense, really, of his fellow servants, it shows here. And when this master returns, unexpectedly, he receives severe judgment. And the words that Jesus uses here are pretty harsh. And really, he's using imagery of hell here, okay? A picture of torment and sorrow, okay? Here's the thing. Neither slave knew when their master would return. Neither of them knew. But the one was faithful and one was wise, okay? But the one that was faithful and wise didn't, um, the one was faithful and wise, then that didn't matter to him when he was going to return. He wasn't thinking to himself, oh, when's he going to return? When's he going to He was thinking, I have a task to do. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know when he's going to return. I don't even know how he's going to return. He might come on a plane, a donkey, or whatever, or he might become before this or after that. I don't know. I'm just going to do my job. I am just going to be faithful. Really, it's the one who doesn't worry about being ready, who suffers as a result of being found unprepared. Here's a point I think that really Jesus is trying to make here. As, as his followers, we are to be ready. And this is, I'm going to boil it all down right here. 
We are to be ready spiritually and mentally for him to return at any time. We're supposed to be ready, okay? What that means is we are to be about faithfully fulfilling our master's expectations by living out our calling as true followers of Jesus. First and foremost, it's to look like to be actively pursuing intimacy with him. That's the first thing he's at. You want to be ready? Pursue intimacy with me. Get to know me. Spend time with me. Let me show you how much I love you. Fall deeper in love with me. Second, to be actively praying for and looking for opportunities to share our faith. Big one. Opportunities to share our faith. I, I, I thought, I feel so, after I was doing this, I realized I'm guilty of that so often. It's not even, not even spending time praying for giving me up. I'm always thinking about, okay, I want to be ready for that opportunity. But do I actually pray for God today? Would you give me an opportunity to share the incredible glory and the magnificence of you to somebody today? That is our role as followers of Christ. How often do we do that? I know I don't. That's the enemy trying to get us to think of other things. I'm off track. Good story of this. And I'll just go ahead because she said I could share it. Robin, our gal, wonderful worship leader, shared with some of us during the week that she was given an one of these opportunities. That a father, a guy that their friends of the family came and was having the struggles and in a, in, within communicating, came to find out that he was in need. She asked if she could pray for him. Um, he doesn't believe, but then it just kind of opened up this conversation to start moving him. He knows he doesn't believe in God, but he wants to and kind of, and so she was obedient. She was ready for that to happen. Are we ready for those kinds of things? Are we ready? Not just because we got a lot of head knowledge, not just because we've been in church or in Bible study a lot, but are we ready because we know Jesus? Are we ready because we have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Are we ready because it's the desire of our heart? to share this magnificent glory, not this temple, not a religion. We're not sharing a religion. We're sharing the glory of God we get to share with people. And we can't do that in our flesh. It's impossible. So we need to be asking on a regular basis. I need to be asking, God, give me an opportunity to be tongue-tied. <laughs> Isn't that how often how it feels when someone, you know, ever have that happen? God opens up a door like wide open to share the gospel and you're like, I, 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 what? <laughs> you're like, it's not supposed to be that easy. And it's not all the time. But are we open? Are we ready? Are we listening spiritually? Are we listening to where people are at in their lives? Are we sensing that, wow, this is an opportunity to share about, share about Jesus. Not to make another notch in my belt to get someone saved, but to share the glory of God and the power of Jesus and then let him go to work. That's what he's asking of us. And then be actively involved in making disciples or helping others to be more like Jesus. That's our responsibility. That doesn't mean you're an official teacher. That doesn't mean you're leading a small group. Is there somebody, is there somebody in your family, in your circle of friends, work somewhere that you have an opportunity to help that person to be more like Jesus. Not because you're so holy, not because you're so learned, not because you're so wonderful, 
but because the glory and the power and the majesty of God is within you and he's going to use you despite, actually because of your weaknesses, your frailties, your fumbling, he's going to use you. That's what it means to be ready. That is what it means to be ready. You see, the danger for us is allowing ourselves to get to a place where the fact that Jesus can return at any time no longer influences the way that we think. If we knew that Jesus was coming home or coming back, if we knew the rapture or whatever is going to happen, if we knew it was all over tomorrow, how would be? There was a week left. How would that impact how you live your life this week? Obviously, we wouldn't live our whole lives like that because we, heck, we quit our jobs probably. We do all, do all these whatever. But how would that impact your life spiritually and, and how, how that motivates you to tell other people about how amazing it is to have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe, the God that is so glorious, the God that is so amazing? That's what he's talking about here. Don't let ourselves, don't get caught up in the fact that we don't think about Jesus' return anytime. It could happen at any time. It's so easy to let the extended absence of Jesus cause us to lean into selfish or irresponsible living and only to live for the now. I'm going to live for right now. For what makes me happy, what makes me content right now. We need to fight that temptation. We need to fight it with everything. It's an overwhelming temptation. It's because it's the very thing that causes us to miss out on all that God has for us as we these things, as we actively pursue him, as we actually live out our calling. You guys, the truth is that true joy and contentment, along with being granted greater responsibilities and opportunities to advance the kingdom, only comes really as we faithfully fulfill by the power of the Holy Spirit, not on our own, but by the power of the Spirit, the responsibilities Jesus, our master, has given us to deeply love him, to deeply love other people's people. May this be, may this be the deepest desire of my heart. Let me ask you, are you ready Or at least, are you willing to allow Jesus to do whatever it takes to help you to be ready? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Once again, we thank you for how powerful and straightforward in some ways it is, and confusing it is in other ways, yet it's still amazing, powerful truth. Father, I pray that your spirit would help us to see from these passages how, God, we can be motivated by the fact that you could, Jesus could come back anytime. God, may we so desire then to live out our mission, our calling, and not feel guilty for when we don't, but God, to make, make the best use of our time, as Paul said, to be careful how we walk and how we use our time and to be wise making the best use of our time, God. Help us to do that. And we ask, we beg for you to help us that. We can't do it on our own, God. Thank you that you lead us in all these things. In Christ's name, amen.